somewhere between waking and sleeping, on our journey towards the unfathomable deep, there comes a thin moment where we have one foot in the waking world, and the other is in that other world where we relinquish conscious control. Pausing here, and straddled between two planets that drive one another like gears, the attentive traveller will notice a narrow door only wide enough to sidle through. This is the border of sleep, where imagination and reality are braided together, a chasm in the crust of consciousness venting the hot pumice of imagery into the irresistible magma of narrative. Welcome to episode 18 of Stories from the Borders of Sleep, a weekly podcast of curious tales from bordersofsleep.com, featuring original stories by your host, Seymour Jacklin. Do check into bordersofsleep.com for some more information or to leave some feedback, which is always lovely to hear. Artwork is by Robin Trainer, and you can see that on the website as well. And production is by Tim Wiles. The soundtrack for this week's episode is from Countryside Stroll by Carrie Live, and it's available from magnatune.com. This podcast is also available on iTunes. So, if you're ready to journey with me, then I shall begin. The Seven-Legged Spider by Seymour Jacklin An old lady lives in a tumble-down house, and she has more teeth than there are slates on the roof, and that is not a lot. She lives there with her skinny wraith of a grandson, whose pale bony hands are warmer than her hearth on most evenings, and that is not very warm. The only other company in the house is, you've got it, a mouse in the wainscot, who has more whiskers than there are crumbs in the larder, and that is not many. So it's a wonder he's bothered to stay around for as long as he has. Perhaps it is because, in spite of the poverty of the place, the vegetables in the garden do grow very well. It is whispered that this is because it lies on an ancient battlefield where many men added their blood and bones to the soil long, long ago. Oh, there may be one or two spiders too, and I mention them because... Well, it's difficult to tell where the curtains end and where their webs begin. The old lady's grandson has a name that is a lot bigger than he is, being a full eight letters long, one for each day of the week and two for Sunday, which is the only day on which he is actually called Barnabas, Barney sufficing for the remainder of the week. Well, Barney, says the old lady, Have you finished your chores for the day? Yes, Nana, says Barney, who loves his grandmother very much and always tries to see that she is comfortable. Just then, there is a knock on the door, or rather, what remains of the door after countless winters have nibbled around its edges and not a few woodworms have eaten peepholes in the wood at every possible eye level. Oh, exclaims the old lady, Barney, who is that at the door? 
This is a mere formality since the cottage consists of but a single room and she can see perfectly well that there is a ragged beggar standing outside with his coat tails hanging down like a crow's back feathers. There's a ragged looking man there, Nana, says Barney and his eyes grow wide and timid for he's not used to having visitors. One of the spiders in the window stretches one of his long legs, uncurling it gently across his web because he's starting to feel a touch of cramp. He takes care not to let his foot get stuck on one of the sticky parts that are made for catching flies. Ask him what he wants, says the old lady. Barney peers nervously around the door and exchanges a few muffled words with the stranger outside. When he looks at his grandmother again, his eyes are even wider. He's asking if there might be room for another at our table tonight, because his belly is very empty, says Barney. Tell him to go away. We have precious little for ourselves and nothing for him, says the old lady. Barney conveys the message to the hunched character in front of the door, whose eyes are so tiny and so deep in his face that you'd think he had none if they weren't catching the light of the low evening sun. Barney returns with the message. He says he has something for you. The old lady rouses herself with a huff and a puff, like a horse on a windy afternoon, and shuffles to the door. The beggar holds out a hand as rough as walnut bark and wound with veins like ivy. He's holding something that looks like a recently dug potato. But on closer examination, it appears to be a communal garden rock. I will give you this magic stone if you will just give me a little hot water with which to make some soup, he pleads. A magic stone? The spider with cramp extends another of his legs out from under him and places his foot down gingerly. Ah, that's better, he sighs, and his web trembles just a little. What's magic about it? asks the old lady of the beggar, whose hat has a great hole in it that the wind blows right through. It makes the most beautiful soup if you but boil it in water, he replies. Now that is something an old lady with a grandson who badly wants a bit more flesh on his bones could really use. So she invites the beggar in and orders Barney to put on a pot of water on the fire to boil. Just as the bubbles begin to roll, the beggar, with a ceremonious flourish that is worthy of a pope breaking a wafer in two, drops the stone into the water and it lands in the bottom of the pot with a bubbly clank. Is that it? asks the old woman. Aye, it will be ready in just a few minutes, says the beggar, warming his hands gratefully by the fire. The knees are so baggy in his trousers that he looks as if his legs are permanently bent in a couple of chevrons. The spider feels a tingle of pins and needles in another of his legs and unfurls it with a care and precision worthy of the Pope when he's pouring wine into a chalice. The beggar takes the tall ladle that sits on the hearth and dips it into the pot, drawing off a tiny sip 
and slurping it with the air of a connoisseur. Ah, yes, tis nearly done, but... He hesitates and looks around the bare cottage, taking in the collapsing bed and the peeling washbowl and the table which still bears the telltale marks of hinges from its previous life as a door. But it could use a little garnish. I don't suppose... He looks around again. I don't suppose you would have an onion or two, would you? He wheedles. Barney, go and pull a couple of onions from the garden, says the old woman to her grandson. While he is outside, silence falls in the cottage, and all that can be heard is the bubbling of the pot and the dry rasp of the beggar's hands as he rubs them together. The spider gives yet another of his legs a long, slow stretch without making a single sound. Barney returns with a brace of onions hanging by their long green top knots like a pair of shrunken skulls, and into the pot they go. Let me try that now, says the beggar, taking another sample from the pot. Oh, perfect, he exclaims, but there is something, just something, that is needed to garnish this flavour. Do you have any parsnips, perhaps? Barney is dispatched to fetch some parsnips from the garden. The old lady can hardly wait, for her mouth is watering and that stone soup begins to smell tantalising. Barney returns with some parsnips and a handful of thyme. Do you think this would go well in the soup? he asks the beggar, whose eyes fairly start out of their sockets with delight. Yes, my boy, put them all in, what an excellent idea! And into the pot they go. Another minute or two pass, marked only by the spider, flexing the joints of another leg which seems to have gone to sleep. The beggar takes another slurp, and looks suddenly forlorn. Oh, that time is its too overpowering. It's drowning out the flavour of the rock. We must have something to balance it out and bring it to the fore again. He smacks his lips and casts his eyes around the room for another time. Chives? suggests Barney quietly. No, no. Uh, have you any spinach, perhaps? Quick, quick, fetch some greens from the garden, Barney, exclaims the old lady, for she's beside herself with hunger, and the beautiful aroma of stone soup is filling the cottage. Even the mouse pops his head out and flexes his whiskers and thinks he will have more than just crumbs tonight. And you may as well bring a few chives while you're there, calls the beggar after him, a little too loudly. Something about the mention of chives seems to suggest to the spider that he has another leg that just needs stretching. Barney brings the ingredients back in from outside. A clutch of chives and a fistful of greens go into the pot. The beggar gives it a stir and lets it simmer. Everyone is leant over the pot, staring into it and breathing deeply of the fragrance with which it endows the steam. I do declare this is stone soup is the best I've ever made, says the beggar, 
and hands the ladle to the old lady, whose chin is trembling with excitement, and she turns it out, steaming into bowls like golden vessels of incense worthy of St. Peter's. Everyone in the house eats their fill of the wonderful stone soup, and when their back teeth are awash and there is not one drop left, the beggar collects the stone from the bottom of the cooking pot and gives it to the old woman, wrapping her hands in his around the stone that is still warm. You may keep this, my good woman, that you may have stone soup whenever you should choose, he says. The old lady's eyes fill with tears, and she has no words to say in reply as the beggar takes his leave and shambles out into the darkness. The old woman brushes a cloud of dust and ash from the mantelpiece to create a proud place for the magic stone. The mouse watches every careful move, and he thinks to himself, Ah, I'll have a sneaky little lick of that a little later when everyone else is abed. Barnabas's eyes slowly return to their normal size, which is still far too large for his head. The beggar, he finds another stone by the roadside and goes merrily on his way. And the spider? Yes. He thinks it just would be ever so nice just to stretch his last leg out. Oh, yes. That's better. Everyone is happy.